All right, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14 is where we're going to be. One verse of Scripture, uh, very short verse of Scripture. If you want a memory verse, this is probably a good one. Luke chapter, uh, excuse me, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And that's it. Okay. So let's get busy, right? Let's get into the book and let's study a little bit. Let's talk about number one, the first man that's mentioned. And again, we've, we've, we've gone through names every week. I'm not going to rehash everything we've learned. But this morning, we're going to talk about Luke. And so Luke uh, is found quite a bit in the scripture. He, but, but let me just have you some, write some, something in your white space. His name is only mentioned three times in scripture. And although he is a prominent figure in the New Testament, by name, he's only mentioned three times, okay? Uh, And one of the things that we know about Luke, number one in your notes, is that he is a human author of Scripture. Now, we know that God is ultimately the author of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of, of God. We know that God has the patent on his word, but God used human instruments, and so, and so he wrote for us and, and, and authored for us the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And if you take those two books, and we'll, we'll make this point in just a second, that's a significant portion of your New Testament. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a major portion of your New Testament. And so, and so this guy that is with Paul and that Paul mentions in Colossians chapter 4, Luke is, is an author used by God to record Scripture. That is no small thing, no small privilege. And, and there's always a question of uh, when, when scholars, you know, talk about Luke, they always ask the question, well, is Luke a Gentile or is Luke a, a Jew? You know, and, and, and again, if you don't maybe study it or read it or whatever, you know, maybe you're not privy to those conversations, but there's always a divided uh, opinion on who Luke was. We know he was a physician, but, but was he Jewish or was he a Gentile? And there are some people that make the Gentile defense that would say, man, Luke had to be a Gentile uh, because in, in Philemon and verse 24, his name is recorded as Lucas, not as Luke, but as Lucas. And, and some would say, well, you know, Lucas is actually a Gentile name. And so people would hang their hat. Yeah, he had to be a Gentile based on his name recorded in Philemon. Other people would go to Colossians chapter 4, a text that we've already studied, in verses 10 through 11, and, and as Paul mentions several names previous to what we get to in verse 14, he says in verse 11, you know, he talks about Aristarchus and Marcus and Jesus, who's called Justice, who are of the circumcision. And he doesn't mention Luke's name in verses 10 through 11. He actually only mentions it, he mentions it further down in verse 14. And so some people would say, well, he had to be a Gentile because if he was of the circumcision, Paul would have mentioned him at least by verse 10, because these are the the men of the circumcision, the men of the Jewish heritage that were with Paul. And that all sounds good. There's nothing wrong with that reasoning. But as we get into the Bible, Romans chapter 3 tells us that there's a pretty strong defense that Luke himself was Jewish. And and in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, as Paul is talking about the advantage of the Jew. He says, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way. Chiefly because unto unto them, and, and to them would be the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. 
In other words, if you were to take the time and go back to Acts chapter 7, God calls the Ten Commandments, God calls His words written in stone the lively oracles. And if you were to just compare Scripture with Scripture and run that through the Bible, you find that over and over God entrusted the Old Testament stewardship of His Word to the nation of Israel. God God entrusted that nation and those people with the stewardship of His words. They, They had the lively oracles, God's written and recorded and preserved words. And again, if we look at Scripture, we see in 1 Peter chapter 1 that, 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 you know, when we think about how we got our Bible, sometimes we think that, man, God's Holy Spirit just came on a man and he sat down and grabbed a, a quill pen and some papyrus and didn't even realize what was happening and he just started writing. And, and what came out was the Scriptures, and, and that is not God's process of revealing His Word. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that no prophecy of of the Scripture, what has been scripted out, is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God, what did they do? They spake, but when did they speak? As they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so we have to understand that there is a process of inspiration God reveals His Word, His revelation, in a process of inspiration, and holy men of God, it doesn't say they wrote His Word, it says they spoke His Word. And as they spoke His Word, well then somebody caught those words out of the air and inscripturated them. And again, this morning is a little bit of Bible study for for some of us because We need to understand where we get our our Bible from. We need to understand the importance of somebody like Luke that God used. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture, what has been scripted, is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And and I just want to make the point, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, God entrusted His Word to the Jew. And, and, and you could certainly prove that in the Old Testament, but I, as you look at the New Testament, I would, I would dare say that Luke is, a Gen, excuse me, Luke is a Jew, not a Gentile. The reason why is, is, is the Gospel of Luke has 24 chapters in it. The book of Acts has 28 chapters. That's 52 chapters total. And when you do the math and you compare Luke's writings to the Apostle Paul's writing, Luke is responsible for over 25% of the New Testament by a single human author. And I dare say, I don't think God Almighty is trusting that to a Gentile. Maybe he can. He can. He's God. But, but I just don't think so. As a matter of fact, Luke's portion of scriptures outweigh the Apostle Paul's. And so, again, I just... For some of you that are nerds, students of the Bible, all of that stuff was really cool. The rest of you were like, okay, let's go. I got more blanks. Okay, so we'll fill in your blanks. So here's what we know about Luke. Listen, he's only mentioned three times in Scripture. We know that he is a beloved physician from the Apostle Paul. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. Paul calls him Luke, the beloved physician. And, and, and listen, if you know anything about Paul, Paul had some issues. Paul had infirmities. He had weaknesses. He had, he had infirmities in his flesh. You need a good doctor, right? 
you need a good doctor. I'm, I'm, I'm learning that rather quickly, that you, you need to find a good doctor and hang on to him. And, and, uh, and, and, so, and so Paul had one, and he is beloved in Paul's eyes. Number, number three, he's a fellow laborer with Paul. We, see that, we saw that earlier out of Philemon. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. And so this guy, just he wasn't just a, an author of Scripture, but he actually got his hands dirty in the ministry. He, he labored with the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, and, and we don't have the time, but, but if you were to study the book of Acts, I'm teaching Acts on Sunday night at, at Decatur Baptist Church as part of their institute class. And, and as you study the book of Acts, when you land in Acts chapter 16, you find that, that Luke injects himself into the story of the book of Acts by a little word, a little pronoun called we. And, and, and again, you know, every word of God is important. We believe that at this church. In Acts chapter 16, as, 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 as Luke is recounting Paul's vision in verse 10, Acts chapter 16 and verse 10, it says, after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia and assuredly gathered that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto him. And I, and I just want to make the point that Luke wasn't just an author of Scripture, man, but he did ministry. He did ministry. He, he preached the gospel. He made disciples. He journeyed with Paul on his missionary trips. We see him all the way through from Acts chapter 16 all the way to the end of Acts. And the truth is the New Testament is not silent because even at the end of Paul's life, the guy that we still find with the Apostle Paul is Luke. And, and so what we lastly see about Luke's life is we see that he's faithful to the end. He's faithful to the end. And, and let me remind you that 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's last epistle. And in 2 Timothy, he says this in chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And so for, for whatever reason, the Lord had revealed to Paul, hey, your time on this earth is up. And it's time to go, okay? And so Paul knew that his imminent death was coming. And he says in the same chapter, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Now listen, Timothy wasn't with him because Timothy was on assignment. He's writing this epistle to Timothy. But, but the guy that's still, that's still with him at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, is Luke. And again, man, we, we, we read a lot of names, and it doesn't mean that all of those men flaked out and quit. There's one guy that flaked out and quit. We'll talk about him in the second half of this message named Demas. But man, aren't you thankful for people that stick with you till the end? Listen, listen, Jesus, when he ended his earthly ministry and he was on the cross of Calvary, there was one disciple at the cross, John. After everything that Jesus had went through with his disciples, all the teaching, all the training, all the praying, all the rebuking, all the correction, all the miracles, at the end of it all, his betrayal, his mock trial, and his crucifixion, there was one at the cross, at the end of his ministry, and at the end of his life, and it was the Apostle John. And at the end of Paul's life, at the end of his ministry, and at the end of his life, there was one with him. And it was Luke. And so what we see from Luke, man, is a guy that, yeah, he's only mentioned a couple of times by name in Scripture, but the dude lived out his faith. God used him mightily. God used him miraculously. Listen, you're not going to author any Scripture. That canon is, of Scripture is done. 
but you can be a fellow laborer. You can be beloved to other people in the ministry. God, God teaches us that ministry runs on the rails of relationships. And so Luke, man, he's a, he's a great example of a, of a professional. You know, he wasn't a fisherman, man. He was a physician. So, so here's an intelligent guy. Not that the other guys aren't intelligent, but here is a guy that is held in high regard, and yet he loved the Lord, and he, he served faithfully with the Apostle Paul. If ever there were a contrast of two men in one verse of Scripture, this is it. Because in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul calls Luke the beloved physician, and then he, he mentions another guy. And again, man, if there was a polar opposite, if there was a black and a white, this would be it. It's a guy named Demas. And so let's talk about Demas for just a second. So, so Demas, similarly to Luke, is only mentioned three times in the Scripture. And I find that very interesting that both of these men are only mentioned by name three times. And, and, and one of the verses is the verse we're studying this morning, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Philemon, verse 24, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. And, and so interestingly, two out of the three verses that Demas is mentioned in also mentions who? The guy we just studied, Luke. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, here's the knockout verse. Paul, 2 Timothy, the end of his life, the end of his ministry. And who does he take white space to mention? A guy named Demas. But listen, where Paul said of Luke, hey, only Luke is with me. He's still with me. Man, I've got my, I've got my, my rock. I've got the guy that loves me and loves the ministry. He's with me. Here's what God's word says about Demas. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, and Titus unto Dalmatia. And listen, right at the end of Paul's ministry, he could have wrote anything, and under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, God wanted you to know, God wanted me to, to know, that listen, there's a dude named Demas that flaked out at the end. You remember we talked about earlier the, the importance of Colossians and we talked about the importance of Laodicea and its connection. And this is the epistle for last day's Christianity. And those 10 men are different, 10 different types of Christians that, that you'll find in the last days of Christianity. And listen, there are people, unfortunately, that will, will not identify with Luke, but they're going to strongly identify with Demas. So let's talk about Demas for just a second. You see, you see, he was mentioned earlier as a fellow laborer. But what we see in his life is we see a downward spiral. And if we're not careful, the same downward spiral will happen in our life. You see, he moved from being a laborer in the ministry to loving this world. And, and when, he, when he started loving this world, can I just tell you, he became lukewarm to the things of God. He became lukewarm to the ministry of God. And ultimately, he became Laodicean. You say, I thought he said he went to Thessalonica. That's not what I mean. What I mean is Laodicean in his spirituality. Revelation chapter 3, the church of the Laodiceans, 
said that I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. And the Lord looked at the same church and said, I think you're deceived. You're poor, miserable, wretched, blind, naked. You're not really the way you think you are in the Lord's eyes. And, and Demas for us is going to paint a picture where Luke paints a picture of a Christian that's all in till the end. Demas is a picture of a Christian that started good, that flaked out at the end, that failed at the end, that departed at the end. And, and can I just tell you this morning, listen, if we're not careful, if, not, if we're not careful, we will become a Demas. Listen, churches are full of Demases in these last days. People that used to labor in the Lord, they loved God, they loved His Word, they loved the ministry, but then they began to leave their first love, and they started loving this present world. And they became lukewarm toward the things of God, and ultimately they become Laodicean Christians. And oh, by the way, just because you sit in a church doesn't mean you haven't already departed. fell in love with the world. <laughs> and you, you can't really appreciate what that verse says until you do a little, a little study. And, and so this morning, with the remaining time, we want to we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we want to see a biblical realization of really what this world has for you. And I want to do this because I want to look at the thing that Demas fell in love with. And, and listen, when we get done with this list, you're going to be like, how could any saved man love that? But let's let you make the conclusion as we get to the end. A biblical realization of what this world really has for you. And, 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 I, and I say this as a warning, and I say this as a, as, a, as a teaching and as an admonishing. When you understand what the world has for you, you need to understand what you should have for the world. Number one, this world, what it has for you, number one, is cares that will entangle you. That's what this world has for you, Christian. Matthew 13 and verse 22 says this, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the world, and the care, listen, of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and becometh unfruitful. And again, that's the parable of the seed and the sower. And we know that the seed is the word of God and it lands on four different types of soil. Three of those four types of soil have fruit that spring forth. There's life that's germinated. But only one of those four types of soil brings forth fruit. And listen, this world will choke out and, 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 and deceive you. The deceitfulness of the riches of this world will choke God's word in your life, ultimately to where you and I become what? Unfruitful. Unfruitful. That's what the world has for you. And yet we know from the book of John that God has ordained us and called us to bear fruit. And so if we're not bearing fruit, we have to ask the question, is it, is it because I'm, I'm being choked out and entangled with the cares of this world? Number two, the world has for you a mindset that wants to conform you. It has a mindset that wants to conform you because Paul warns in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And listen, 
This world system has a mindset that wants you to buy into it. And it is absolutely opposed to God and the things of God. It's absolutely opposite of the mind of God. And God warns us that this world wants to conform us to it. And the admonition of the Apostle Paul is, we don't need to be conformed to it. We need to be conformed to God's word. We need to let God's word conform our mind. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I'm just telling you, this world has a mindset that will conform you. Number three, this, this world has wisdom that is foolishness in God's eyes. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 19, the Bible says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. You see, the wisdom of this world in God's eyes is foolishness. And, and let me just warn any of us that think we may have a superior intellect in this city, full of people that think they have superior intellect. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. So no offense, no offense in a city that's full of highly educated PhD people that can send rockets into space. No offense to any of that. But the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And at the end of the day, what will last forever won't be the wisdom of this world and, and the things that we can do in our flesh and, and the mind that God gave us. What will last forever will be the wisdom of God. Because one day, all the things that we think we know will come unraveled at the seams. Because God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom. Number four, this world has for you a God that blinds you. Not a God that loves you and wants to save you, but this world has a God, by the way, little G-O-D, that, that, that blinds you to the truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Do you know that this world has a God and it is not Jesus Christ? It is the devil. It is Satan. He is the God of this world. And his intention is not your well-being, but your destruction. Because he wants to blind your mind and the minds of the lost to those, uh, to those things, to the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, the God of this world. That's all this world has to offer, is a God that wants to see you burn in hell for an eternity. That's all it has to offer. Number five, in this present world, there is evil. This world, what it has for you is evil in this present world. It's evil. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, the Bible talks about Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Listen, this world is presently evil. Your salvation delivered you from it. So why would you ever love it? Why would you love the thing that God delivered you from? Why would you love your sin that God delivered you from? Why would you love the world system that God delivered you from? Number six, this world has a course. And listen, this course is set on destroying you. It's a course. 
that will lead you straight to hell. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 says this, wherein in time past, in time past, before you got saved, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Listen, before you got saved, this world had you on a course, and it was completely opposite of the things of God. It was completely opposite of salvation in Christ. It was completely opposite of eternal life and peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. It was, a, it was taking you completely opposite of God and all the wonderful things about God. And when you got saved, God changed your course. Why would you ever take a hard left and get back on the course that God delivered you from? Because that's all this world has to offer you. Next is this. This world has to offer you rulers that will wrestle against you. Because in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, the Bible says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness and high places. Can you, can you just stop for a second and realize the demonic principalities, the demonic powers, the demonic rulership of this world system, because he is the God of this world. Listen, he, we don't wrestle against each other. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle, and the, the world has nothing to offer you but rulership that wrestles against you, spiritually speaking. You can't can't paint the world in any way, form, or fashion to make it look good, biblically speaking. As a matter of fact, God tells us in 1 Timothy 6 that this world has nothing for you. It has nothing for you. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, again, Paul writes and he says, we brought nothing into this world. And, and we would all say, yeah, I, I know that. We, we came in naked and I, yeah, I got it, okay. You might want to catch the last half of that verse. It is certain we can carry nothing out. You see, there's a certainty that when you leave this, this life and you leave this world and, and you spend your eternity either with the Lord Jesus Christ or in hell below, either way, you'll take nothing from this world with you. You'll take nothing from this world with you. It is certain we can carry nothing out. And lastly, we need to understand that judgment is coming to this world. John chapter 12 and verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And we know that, that, that the Lord ultimately is going to judge this world. Listen, we spent all that time to look at what the Bible says about this world because this world is the world that Demas fell in love with. H how can you fall in love with that? as a child of God? How, how can you go back to the very thing that had you in bondage, that had you uh, ensnared and entangled, that was evil against you, that was, that was trying to deliver you to an eternity in hell, that was ruling against you and wrestling against you, that has nothing for you? How in the world could you love that? Well, listen, I, I'm here to tell you if Demon, Demas could do it, you and I can do it too. You and I can do it too. And God wants us to be warned this morning. Once we have a biblical realization of what this world really has for us, 
then lastly, we need a biblical response to this world. You see, Luke, Luke is the guy that's polar opposite of Demas. Luke didn't invest his life in the things of this world. He didn't love the world, but Demas loved this present world. He didn't love the ministry. He didn't love the Lord. He loved this present world. And so our biblical response to this world has to be right. And, and here's the point. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. In your blanks, look, don't love the world. Don't love the world or the things in it. You can't fall in love with the world or the things in it. First John 2 and verse 15. Love not the world. And everything that we just talked about, those eight or nine points, are characteristics of this world system. And oh man, listen, God warns us, don't love that. Don't love the world. And then he and you would say, man, I, hey, I hate the world. You know, I, I hate that system. I hate the God of this world. I hate all of those things. Okay, well, the verse goes on. There's no period there. Love not the world, neither the the things <laughs> that are in the world. Ah, oh, got me. I don't love the world. I just love the things. And God says, okay, well, don't love the things either. Uh, if any man love the world, listen to this. The love of the Father is not in him. Hmm. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father. But it's of what? What is it? It's of the world. And, and oh, God wants us to re remind, remind ourselves, verse 17, man, this world's going to last forever. No, friend, it ain't. This world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And, and so we have to come to the place as Christians in the 21st century, as, as Christians that are colossae in, in nature, as in probably the last Christians, the last generation before the rapture of the church. I mean, I don't know, I'm not a date setter, but I'm just saying it is interesting that this is the church mentioned right before the book where the rapture is clearly defined. And God warns us, don't love this world, man. And don't love the things that are in this world because, listen, it's going to pass away. It's temporal. It's not eternal. So how do, we, how do we live right in this present world? Number one, we keep our affection right. We don't love the things of the world. Number two, we need to learn to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this world. And, and this, is the, this is the step to victory. This is, this is what we need to walk out of with. This is the takeaway from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 13. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, not the elect men, all men, teaching us that denying godly, ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I wish we had 30 more minutes because what we could do is we could take each one of those three points, living soberly. What does that really mean? Living righteously. Well, can I just tell you, living soberly is probably the polar opposite of living drunken. Sober-minded, not being under the control of anything that would influence your mind, and, and certainly it goes beyond alcohol. Living righteously. Well, if we're going to live righteously, that means we can't live unrighteously. 
if we're going to live godly, it means we can't live, you fill in the blank, ungodly. Okay, okay, God tells us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Because we have a ministry to do. We, we have a mission to accomplish. We, we have what Luke gave his life for. The mission. The mission to make disciples of all nations. The mission to get God's word to the nations. The mission to partner together with other people and enjoy the greatest adventure of your life in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the point. That is the mission and while you're living that way, God just warns us, and, and not warns us, but reminds us in verse 13, hey, while you're living soberly and righteously and godly, make sure you're looking for Jesus too. Look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, because Jesus Christ is God. And our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and so as we, as we kind of wind the thing down and land the plane, if ever there were two different types of people, if ever there were two types of, of, of different Christians in one verse of Scripture, man, we see it today. We see a God that lives his life on purpose, faithfully, soberly, righteously, godly, and God used him tremendously. He used him as an author of Scripture. He used him in personal relationships. He used him on mission trips. He used him to, to take the gospel to the world. That's Luke. And then we see Demas who was a laborer, but then fell in love with the world. So, so here's the last blank, but I'm not done, so don't close your Bible after you fill this in. Here's the key takeaway we need to get from Luke and from Demas. What we truly love determines what we truly hate. What we truly love really determines what we truly hate. Because you can't love one thing without hating the other. In other words, Luke loved Paul. Demas forsook Paul. Luke labored in this present world, and yet Demas loved this present world. Luke was dependable to Paul in the ministry. Demas departed from Paul in the ministry. And you know, we say, oh yeah, 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 I get that, man. It's just, just personal conflict and, and relationship issues. Can I, can I have you maybe look at that a little bit different way? Can, can I have you maybe look at it a little deeper? Uh, let, me, let me read it like this. Luke loved the Lord. Demas forsook the Lord. Luke labored in this present world in obedience to the Lord. Demas loved this present world in hatred to the Lord. Because you can't love the world and love the Father. You can't love the world and love Jesus Christ. God tells us in 1 John, listen, you love one, you hate the other. You can't love both. Luke was dependable to the ministry with the Lord, and, and Demas departed from the ministry of the Lord. And listen, we have to come to the, the realization that we fall on either side of that fence this morning. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. We, we identify more, more closely with Luke, or we identify more closely with Demas, and the truth is, what you truly love determines what you hate. 
and it determines the type of Christian you really are going to be. Listen, do you love the Lord? And everybody in this room and every Christian that's listening would say, yeah, of course, I love the Lord. Well, well, do you love the world? Well, yeah, I kind of like the things of this world. Can I help you understand that you can't love both? You love the one and you hate the other. And listen, Jesus Christ is God. And he demands complete surrender and complete obedience and complete submission. And Matthew, it tells us that if we love anything more than him, we can't be his disciple. We can't be his disciple. You say, I love my family more than I love Jesus. You can't be a disciple of Jesus. I didn't say you couldn't be saved. You can't be a disciple of Jesus. I love my job more than ministry. I love my, my money more than church. I love my time and hobbies and, and preferences more than the ministry. You can't be a disciple of Christ. What you truly love determines what you truly hate. And if you love the Lord, listen, you'll love his word. You'll love his word. You can't know God outside of his word. You say, well, I I have, you know, I talk to the Lord all the time. Okay, well, how does he talk to you? In dreams and visions? Are you kidding me? He has a word. He has a complete canon of scripture. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17 and 17. So if you love the Lord, you're going to love his word. If you love the Lord, you're going to spend time with him. And that also means that you're going to hate some things. You're going to hate the things that take you away from a right relationship with the Lord. You're going to hate the things that take you away from being used of God in ministry. You're going to hate this present evil world. You're going to hate the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. If you love the Lord, you're going to hate those things. Doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with them, but you're going to hate those things. But the truth is, there's a lot of Demases in these last days. There's a lot of Demases in our churches. They say they love the Lord. The truth is, they love the world. They love the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They've departed from what God's intention and calling on their life is to serve their own belly. And when we do that, we don't realize this, but when we do that, when we love the world, what we're really saying is we hate the Lord. We hate the Lord. And John says, the love of the Father is not in you. You say, you saying I'm not saved? I don't know if you're saved or not. But I know this, if you love the Lord, you don't, excuse me, if you love the world, you don't love the the Lord like you need to. If you're in love with this world and the things of this world, you do not Love the, wor- love the Lord the way God intends for you to love him. So, so then we have to decide where, where we are. You know, Demas for us, again, ten types of men, ten types of Christians. Last day is Christianity out of the book of Colossians. I don't know about you. When I read about Demas, you know, it's easy to put Demas out there and say, man, I will never do that. <laughs> and then the more I examine my life, I have to ask the question, you know what? I think I got more in common with Demas sometimes than I'd like to admit. How about you? It's easy to come to church, man. Easy to come to church, talk the language. But at the end of the day, there's a guy who gave his life for the ministry, for the mission, for the men of God that he had relationship with. And there's a guy that just cashed it in and said, I'm out. I'm going to go live it up in this world. And, and we, 
we just need to take note of that. Because in these last days, we don't, we don't want to face the Lord having flaked out right at the, the very end. I mean, we're to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. That means we need to get busy. We need to live right, soberly, righteously, godly. Let me pray. All right, let's pray.